Kevin Hart here. This basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back on everything, even the sound system that auto-tunes the game. Curry from way downtown. Defense. Will the owner of a red sedan please visit guest services? Bet you've never heard cash back and sound like that. Cash back like a pro with Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. All right, let's jump right in. Keith Eidek is here, senior writer over at BoxingScene.com, and Lance Pugmire, senior boxing writer with The Athletic. Fellas, good to have two friends of the podcast on the show this week. What's going on? Nice to be here with you, Chris. Enjoying the non-bubble life, my man. How you doing? Uh, it's it's almost surreal that I'm doing this right now. Like I've spent like the last <laughs> two days like immersed in the minutia of NBA meetings and conversations and now here we are midday on friday it's like let's talk some boxing fellas let's get into it let's do <laughs> let's do junior hey. welterweight championship what's more absurd than what you're dealing with down there than boxing you know that's true it's it's now kind of elevating to to a boxing like level with absurdity at this point but uh it's wild that's for sure but i'm glad we can do this because there is a lot going on that i want to get into in boxing and i i want to begin with the fight this weekend which finally we get jose ramirez back in the ring defending his two versions of the junior welterweight title against victor postal postal of course a former 140 pound champion himself this fight has been postponed multiple times it's been uh one of the fights probably the fight most impacted uh, by this pandemic. But barring anything crazy happening in the next 24 hours, we are going to get Ramirez and Postal in the ring. So Lance, let me start with you. Ramirez, we know what he can do. He is starting to peak as a boxer in the aftermath of that knockout win over Maurice Hooker. Postal has really not been the same guy since the loss to Terrence Crawford. Uh, How big a threat do you look at Postal being in this fight? Look, I mean, I think he's a threat from the standpoint of I never thought he was going to be a threat against Lucas Matisse either, and he ended up winning that fight. And the reason he won that fight is because he was the better man when they just went toe-to-toe and they, you know, when they were inside and just going at each other. 
Victor Postal got the best of that fight. And that, that's the thing with Jose Ramirez. I mean, certainly, like you say, Jose Ramirez's boxing skills are peaking. And I think he has the ability. I expect him to win this fight. But if he does go toe-to-toe for an extended period with uh, Victor Postal, especially, you know, when you consider Postal for him, this is like his watershed fight. This is his last stand, so to speak. It's, a, it's not a slam dunk for uh, Jose Ramirez, and I think he needs to, and I think he is taking this fight very seriously. Keith, what do you think? Because, I mean, one of the angles I'm fascinated by with this fight, it's like it's the Freddie Roach revenge fight, right? I mean, it's Freddie's working the corner of Postal. He was summarily dismissed by Jose Ramirez after help lead him, having lead him to a world championship. Uh, do, do you give Postal, what kind of percentage chance do you give Postal in this fight? Just to uh, allude to what you just mentioned, Chris, I spoke to Freddie Roach earlier this week, and he was pretty careful not to uh, fan the flames, so to speak, as far as that goes. But of course, you know, inside, I'm sure it means a lot to him to beat Ramirez and to beat Robert Garcia, who's seems like more of a friendly rival now than a bitter rival than he was before, but but certainly a rival. Um, you know, I think uh, I would give Postal a he's a live underdog, I guess is the best way to put it, because he's been in this position before, as Lance mentioned earlier. When he fought Matisse, you know, Matisse had lost three times at that point, but he was heavily favored to beat Postal in that fight. And, uh, you know, he, he knocked him out, of course, knocked him down and knocked him out in the 10th round of the fight. You know, I think one thing about, uh, about Victor Postal is that he, his power is underrated because we saw what he did in the Matisse fight. He also hurt Josh Taylor twice in the seventh round of their fight where Josh Taylor was kind of holding on and on two separate occasions in the uh, second half of the seventh round. So he has more power than his knockout ratio would indicate. He's a tall, rangy fighter. He's five foot eleven. He's significantly taller than Jose Ramirez, or maybe an inch and a half, maybe taller than Ramirez. He's got uh, better reach than Ramirez, um, and he's been in this position before. He's fought top fighters. Of course, the Crawford fight went about as poorly for him as it could have gone. But beyond that, you know, he's only lost to Crawford and Josh Taylor, and there's no shame in either of those two losses. So. But also, like Lance said, he, Ramirez is not underestimating him because they've sparred several times back in the day at Freddie's gym, uh, the wildcard gym in Hollywood. So he's very familiar with him. Uh, I don't think Ramirez is underestimating him in any, any way. But I think it could be a more competitive fight than the odds indicate because Ramirez is a 7-1 to favorite going into the fight. Lance, you knew of Jose Ramirez you know, in, in California for, for years. I mean, I covered him at the Olympics in 2012, and – I didn't have high expectations for him coming out of the Olympics. I mean, I knew he was a, a sturdy guy, good jab. There were some kind of Oscar comparisons, but I thought they were a little bit uh, overblown. But now he, he's really exceeded all of my expectations as a fighter. Uh, you know, how, is he, how has his pro career gone to you? Did you expect him to rise to this level when he first made the turn to pro? No, honestly, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. I, I, the, the thing with Jose Ramirez is that it, it almost seemed like he was a little bit slow and that he really wasn't committed to the idea of stepping in there and being that offensive threat that he is now. I mean, when you look back at what he did against Maurice Hooker and the punches were just flying, right? I mean, when he finished this guy, it was like amazing. He was just completely at him. And when you talk to Jose, that's the reason that he said he, he left Freddie Roach, that he wanted to become more of an offensive threat, and he was going to be able to get that with Robert Garcia. Uh, when you talk about when you talk to it, uh, with Freddie Roach, Freddie Roach and, and the people in his gym will say that they, feel, they felt like uh, Jose felt as if he was like a little bit ignored in that, in that high-profile gym that you know, possessed so many big names over the years and that they, they just felt like maybe he was a little bit slighted 
and not tended to the way he should have been. But, you know, everything that he's done, especially in the last a year or two, Chris, has been so uh, impressive. And I believe that Jose Ramirez now sees what's before him. You know, I know we'll talk about that a little bit more, but I, he's, he's elevating his game toward where he sees his career going and, and finishing. Yeah, Keith, let's get into, you know, the aftermath because top rank is setting this up so that if Ramirez beats Postal, Josh Taylor wins his fight next month. You know, Bob Arum says he wants to make the Taylor versus Ramirez fight for the end of 2020. That, of course, would be for all the junior welterweight belts. I mean, we've heard promoters make proclamations about big fights before. How, how likely is it that, you know, everyone can get on the same page in time for a fight at the end of 2020? Well, I think the programming holes that ESPN could have without a lot of the college football conferences playing could benefit this fight in terms of it happening before the end of the calendar year because they want to put on several big fights. And I spoke to Bob Arum earlier this week, and he said, obviously, the Loma Lopez fight will be October 17th. Uh, but they also want to put this fight on ESPN uh, on the network itself before the end of the year. Uh, they also want to put um, the Oscar Valdez-Miguel uh, Burchelt fight on ESPN. Uh, and, a, and a Terrence Crawford fight, which may or may not be against Kell Brook, as we know. Um, but whoever Terrence Crawford fights, that fight also would be on the network. So they have some pretty high-profile fights on ESPN over the last two and a half months or so of, of 2020. And that fight, the Taylor Ramirez fight, is one of the best fights you could make in boxing. So if they both win these fights, I mean, I think everyone will be looking forward to that. Lance, to, to Keith's point, you know, there's an opportunity for top rank to really make a splash before the end of this year. I mean, we have no idea how many college football games are going to take place on Saturdays. I mean, the, the pandemic changes things, it seems like, by the week. Uh, but there, it seems like there could be a pretty big opportunity for ESPN to have these huge, high-profile time slots relatively on their own. I mean, the NBA is going to be done sometime in mid-October. Baseball will be right behind them. Uh, football may decide to schedule some games over the weekends, but this seems like to me a, a pretty massive opportunity for top rank and for boxing in general to expose the sport uh, with big fights uh, in high profile time slots. Yes, absolutely. And I believe that Aram does want to do that. And I think he's braced for that, for that move. I spoke to someone at ESPN and they said, you know, kind of hold your horses because, you know, look, they still have the SEC and some of the other conferences that have not committed to not playing. So they're waiting to see how that plays out. But absolutely. I mean, in my opinion, at, you know, when you talk about Ramirez and Taylor, it seems maybe a little bit rushed to have it in December. But again, uh, considering this landscape of what's going on on ESPN and the opportunity to basically take boxing into what Aram says is like a renaissance with all of these big fights, you know, you should strike while, while the uh, opportunity is there. Um, so, you know, they should absolutely do it. But as of now, at least what I'm told is like ESPN, it's kind of like, hold your horses. Let's see where we are exactly on the college football. Um, and then, and then we'll go there accordingly. But for boxing, especially when you consider that, you know, boxing, uh, same things over with PBC on Fox, they too have the opportunity to do the same thing. So it's a, it's a great opportunity for the sport and let's just see what happens. Uh, Keith, you made me feel bad the other day when you texted me. Uh, about Greg Vendetti being from Massachusetts, the opponent of Eris Landy Lara. I didn't even know he was from Massachusetts. I I should be plugged into all fighters that are from you know my quote unquote neighborhood, uh, but it, it kind of speaks to the lack of interest I I have in in that fight. I mean, 
you know, you talk to Vendetti. Uh, it sounds like he's an interesting guy. But how much interest do you have in Arislandi Lara uh, going up against a guy that that most people haven't heard of and most people are expecting to not be the most difficult of tests? Well, Greg Vendetti is obviously and understandably a huge underdog. I think Arislandi Lara is a fifty to one favorite going into the fight. Uh, Vendetti's last real fight resulted in a brutal second round knockout loss to Michael Soro. Michael Soro is one of the best 154 pounders in the world. Uh, but that's the biggest fight of his career. And it obviously went as poorly as it could have gone for him. Uh, he says he went into that fight, uh, overconfident thinking because he had never been down, even in sparring that he could just stand there and trade with a top guy obviously went poorly. Uh, he's a very interesting guy. I'll say that. I, I don't know, you know, what it's going to amount to in the ring. Uh, but a very interesting guy, one of the most quotable guys that I've ever interviewed, to be honest. Um, and he, he was brutally honest. And I give him credit. He said, look, I know people think that he's going to kill me. And if I were them, I would think the same thing because on paper, we're not on the same planet. So he completely understands what he's walking into here. But that doesn't deter him in any way. And he, he took this fight on six weeks notice. Uh, he's a tough guy, of course, but he's never beaten anyone anywhere near on Arizona Lara's level. So I don't know what the viewer interest is going to be in this fight. I wouldn't expect it to be high, particularly because ESPN Plus is also showing, you know, the Ramirez postal fight. I don't know necessarily that there will be overlap between the two main events, but it'll definitely eat into some of the viewership on Fox. And, uh, you know, the other fight, Caleb Truax against Alfredo Angulo is, you know, is a competitive fight against two aged guys who are fighting for one last title shot. That's that's an interesting fight to some degree, but the main event is a, is a tough sell for sure. Lance, you know the last couple of weeks we've we've seen some you know tough main events on Fox. I mean, I thought the Jamal James Delorme was a good fight. Like that's a an evenly matched fight, and if the ratings for that don't perform, that's that's kind of what what happens. You want to put on good fights, but everybody knew going in that Sean Porter was going to you know be. A dom- be dominating over uh, Sebastian Formella. That's exactly what he did. Barring something crazy, you know, Aris Landy Lara is going to dominate his fight against Greg Vendetti. I mean, how big an issue is this to you that that Fox is putting on these types of shows and the ratings are are significantly underwhelming? Well, I think the boxing fans know when there's good fights and when there's fights like what they're getting. So, look. Fox and PBC has to get the get fights for these fighters. And that's what's going on right now. It's an unfortunate thing. It's it's a little bit forgivable because of what's gone on with the pandemic. Of course, you know, like these guys are backlogged. Arislandi Lara will be in position for a, a significant title shot after this fight. And, you know, it is interesting to see how he's sort of changed his style to, you know, get away from such a, a technical, uh, i.e. boring, uh, Cuban style to really embrace, you know, going more toe to toe and letting his, his power shine a little bit. So that's been good, but you're right. I mean, it's, it, we, it's the same thing we saw on ESPN earlier, Chris, you know, where they had terrible ratings and they were putting on fights just to kind of get, keep their guys busy. That's what's going on. But as long as, you know, PBC is involved in, in some of the fights that we will be seeing, like with the Charlo brothers, Javante da- Davis and Leo Santa Cruz coming still, uh, Wilder and Fury 3, hopefully. You know, I, I think, like, let's get through this year and then, you know, start making good fights again. But right now, we just kind of, I think everyone has to just kind of, like, bite the bullet and say, like, it is what it is. It's not going to be that good. But, hey, at least, you know, there's some sports on TV. If you want to watch it, go for it. 
Yeah, Lance, look, I, I agree with, with everything you said there. But Keith, let me put it to you this way. Like, Fox, you know, if, if you see a million viewers on Fox, it, it's really not a lot. Like, it's just, it's not. Like, you can show a lot of stuff on a broadcast network and get high ratings. When I see ratings like this, my concern goes immediately to, well, what do the top people at Fox, what do they think? Because they're the ones with the power to decide what goes on the air. And if they feel like they could get two thirds of those ratings, and I made this joke on Twitter, I'm not only half kidding, by showing like a rerun of Bones, then, mm-hmm. you know, then maybe they do it. I mean, my concern, Keith, is that Fox may decide that boxing isn't worth it. And I think boxing needs Fox and it needs ESPN to grow the sport. Um, how, how significant a concern do you think that would be that Fox might say, look, we're, we're not putting up any kind of numbers. You know, why are we still doing this? Well, I, I think it's a situation where there should be concern. I'm not sure that panic should set in just yet, but it is alarming that the ratings are, are what the, or the viewership is what it is right now. Um, they need Fox or another broadcast network to be involved in boxing because it obviously, you know, it, it makes the sport available to many more people. But you're right. You know, I think the, uh, the Porter Formella fight, it peaked at about almost exactly the same as the Delorme James fight. It was, I think it was 1,225,000, which is low for broadcast television, of course. Um, the, the only other thing I would say, though, Chris, is that ratings for our viewership for sports in general is down, which is sort of surprising because the NBA playoffs are happening now. The, the viewership for the NBA playoff games is down, which I did not expect because you would think that more people are home watching. I know some of the games air during the afternoon on a Monday and all that, but I don't, I don't mean those games necessarily, but even the viewership for, for bigger games are, are is lower than what was expected. So I'm not sure what to make of that exactly. Cause you think more people would be home during the pandemic, although people, Throughout the country are obviously going out more now, but viewership tends to go down in July and August in, in the television industry in general. I think that accounts for some of it, uh, but I, I don't know what quite to make of why it's so low because the Sean Porter, uh, your Dennis Ugas fight did almost twice as many viewers um, in March, 2019 as this Porter fight did. Now, of course, a lot more people know Ugas, but he's not a household name either. He's very good. You know, he's an underrated welterweight contender, but he's not someone that the general public knows. So you could almost interchange Ugas and Formella to some degree, and and it doesn't account for uh, less than half of the viewership or around half of the viewership. The other yeah. thing that's interesting, guys, the other thing that's interesting to me is that like these conversations that we're having right now, aren't these conversations taking place between PBC and the Fox executives? Don't they know what they're getting when they see this proposed schedule? from PBC and say like, Hey, this is the shit, you know, this is a crap fight. We've got to, uh, you know, we, we demand better. I mean, are, aren't those conversations taking place? And if they're not, they should be because you can't just turn your network over to a boxing promoter or it's going to be a uh, bad news. Believe me, not just for the sport, but for your network. Lance, I got, I don't think these conversations are taking place, at least not at a level they need to. And you can say this for, virtually every network, DAZN, ESPN, Fox, does do any of these networks have quality control going on at, at the upper levels? Like, are, are they over-reliant on, you know, promoters and, and matchmakers telling them and promising them that this is a good fight? I mean, it's, it's a little crazy, right? Like, you're committing millions of dollars 
and you're not exactly sure what you're going to get. I mean, are you being sold a bill of goods because there's a championship on the line? Like, three of us know championships mean absolutely nothing. Like, titles are worthless, at least for the most part in boxing. So, Lance, I don't, I don't think they are, these conversations are being, taking place. I mean, I think we're having them, but I don't believe that those types of conversations are being had at the Fox PBC level. But if you're, if you're that boxing promoter and you're not having those conversations or you're not letting these people know what kind of fights are coming and then you put them on the air and they get these abysmal ratings, you're shooting yourself in the head. So, I mean, they should be happening. And, you know, there has to be some kind of like layout of like, hey, we're having this fight now. This is why we're doing it. You know, just kind of stick with us and then we're going to get to the big fights, you know, later this year and into 2021. Yeah, I mean, none of us want boxing off of Fox. None of us want boxing off of ESPN, right. but we all know it's a business. Like, and if they Absolutely. think they don't need to commit millions of dollars to something and get the same ratings, they're not going to do it. So uh, quality control has to be had there. All right, let's talk about another fight that happened this past weekend. Dillian White, Alexander Povetkin. I was excited about this one. It lived up to, to the expectations. White, through four rounds, looked like he was on his way to another knockout win. Put down Povetkin twice in that fourth round, Povetkin was shaky going into his corner. And then out of nowhere, the uppercut from hell straight from Russia, he drops Dillian White down and out before his head could hit the canvas. Keith, uh, shocked by Povetkin's win? At all surprised? Expected it? I mean, what did you think of that performance? Well, I was certainly shocked after the fourth round, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, it looked like he was well on his way to getting knocked out. And I think you know, going into the fight, while Povetkin was considered dangerous because he can punch and, he, you know, he's a former world champion, he's almost 41 years old. And Dillian White is nine years younger than him and, you know, had beaten a string of very, you know, not all of them, top top heavyweights, but some. You know, the Joseph Parker win was very good. The Oscar Rivas win was very good. Obviously came in a very close fight and knocked Derek Chisora unconscious. Uh, so had some huge wins during his winning streak after losing Anthony Joshua. And I commended him for taking, you know, numerous tough fights while he's the WBC mandatory challenger seemingly forever. Um, but he, Dillian White's a flawed fighter in the sense that, you know, he doesn't, he's been down before. I mean, he's been stopped before. So I wasn't, I wasn't stu stunned overall, but I was stunned based on the way the fight was going that that happened. I mean, I think all of us were like, oh, did that just happen? Really? That just, you know, you know, Look, you, you feel somewhat uh, bad for Dillian White in the sense that he never got his title shot. And, and Eddie Hearn is now talking about him winning this immediate rematch and then becoming the mandatory again. That's not the way it works. You don't get knocked unconscious and then become the mandatory because you beat the guy in the rematch. How about all the guys who haven't lost since you lost? So I don't know about that part of it. But um, but he also talks a lot of trash. And, you know, he, you know there were a lot of people certainly celebrating – him losing in that fashion on Twitter and Instagram and other places. So, um, but, you know, but Chris, how many times have you and I spoken on the podcast about heavyweights taking risks and, and, you know, looking too far ahead to fights that just won't happen because you're going to get caught by one of these huge punchers or dangerous guys at some point. And that's clearly what happened with Dillian White. Lance, I'll tell you, if I had been part of the call for that fight after that fourth round, I would have said something like Dillian White is a composed and ferocious finisher. 
watch this. Uh-oh. And then, <laughs> You've never said that before, have you? Never, uh-huh. never uh-huh. in my life. But <laughs> d- does a does a fight like this to you say more about Dillian White or does it say more about Alexander Povetkin? Great question. I mean, obviously you have to give a ton of credit to Povetkin because like you said, I mean, when he, when he retreats to that corner, it does look as if, you know, this is a guy headed into retirement, but he looked within himself and found that resolve and, and delivered that punch. It was amazing theater. And for me, the thing that I'm just blown away by is like what a dramatic turn of events it is for Dillian White because he goes from this, you know, mandatory shot, mandatory position that he was going to be in uh, against the Fury Wilder winner to now, you know, falling so far back in line. I mean, yes, Eddie Hearn may ultimately like throw this guy a bone if Anthony Joshua is the, you know, uh, remains as the heavyweight champion through those Fury fights and he could get a title shot there. But um, so many guys passed him up now because of this loss. And it's just, it shows how, you know, how the chips can fall in the sport. And Dillian White, I mean, I easily could see a situation where he never, you know, gets a, a heavyweight title shot. Keith, uh, Lance brought up Eddie Hearn and you watch him after the broadcast and he's like, man, that was tough, tough to see. That was wild. But inside, he must have been gleeful. I mean, nobody was a bigger winner on Saturday than Eddie Hearn because he has spent the better part of the last three months talking out of both sides of his mouth. He has been trying to make a fight between Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury while simultaneously trying to stop that fight by making Dillian Mike Tyson Fury fight Dillian White. Now, instead of having to get on that merry-go-round every couple of weeks, he can have he has a clearer path to Joshua versus Fury, still things that obviously Joshua and Fury have to take care of, but Dillian White's not part of that situation anymore. And he has another big money fight. Like, there's going to be huge interest in the rematch between Dillian White and Alexander Povetkin. I mean, I look, I, all the people in that garden on Saturday, Eddie Hearn won the most. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of interest now in the Povetkin-White rematch. Um, but I think if Eddie, Eddie Hearn has learned anything over the last two years, um, it's that you shouldn't look ahead to anything because we thought that Anthony Joshua was going to fight Deontay Wilder. Look what happened. Um, and anyone who's counting out Deontay Wilder in his third fight against Tyson Fury, I don't know why you would. I understand he he looked terrible in the rematch and, and Tyson Fury roughed him up and and embarrassed him to some degree in that fight. But he's one of the most pulverizing punchers in the history of boxing. And I don't know how you could say that he does not have a chance just based on that in the third fight. So while I'd love to see Tyson Fury fight Anthony Joshua, and it would be an enormous event in the UK, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, Lance, we haven't heard much from Deontay Wilder in the last few months. Some Instagram posts here or there, but... In the meantime, you've got Tyson Fury taking to social media and basically trying to chide him, sounding like he's, you know, trying to get him into the ring. Do you have any reason to believe that we won't see a third fight between Fury and Wilder? No, no reason to uh, believe that it won't take place. It's just a matter of when. It, it is odd, Chris. I mean, we, we both know Deontay Wilder very well. And it, to me, it's, it's stunning. Like, I mean, it used to be no big deal to be able to reach out to his camp and get him on the phone for whatever subject was going on in the sport. And now he's unavailable. Now he's, you know, almost in hiding and being uh, very 
reclusive. And that's not who Deontay Wilder is. So that's a little bit concerning. How has this loss affected him? And it's almost like, you know, I'm not saying it's anywhere near the, the level of depression that Tyson Fury uh, went through after he defeated Klitschko, but you could maybe guess that there is some kind of depression going on with Deontay Wilder, this, this huge uh, blow to his ego and having to be now so humble uh, in defeat about what has happened because he was truly be beaten down in this fight and not a lot of people are accepting those excuses that he came up with afterwards. So how it plays out is going to be very interesting. You know, he's going to have to talk definitely within the next two months because he's going to have a fight to be, to be selling. Keith, there's obviously been no formal announcement. As we sit here in August, there's no rush. But does any of your reporting indicate there could be any kind of, of, of hang-up or any kind of possibility that we don't see Wilder uh, accept that immediate third fight with Fury? No, I don't think that it, anything – it won't be related to Deontay Wilder if the fight does not happen by the end of this year. What could stop it from happening – by the end of this year is whether fans can attend the fight, because as you guys well know, they did a $17 million gate roughly uh, for the rematch. And they're not going to have this fight without fans in attendance because they can't afford it. They, they, everyone lost money on the rematch. Uh, so they're not going to put themselves in position for that to happen again. But I, I have not been given any indication, although I have not spoken to Deontay Wilder personally since uh, I believe it was two days after the fight when he told me and Lance and a lot of other people um, all these reasons why he thinks he lost. I, I do think though that he, uh, and I understand what Lance is saying about him, you know, it was a blow to his ego for sure. And I'm sure it's been difficult to deal with his first loss and everything, but he was, I think he was genuinely hurt by the backlash that he received from what he said. Now I'm not really sure why he wouldn't have expected people to react that way because whether he was being, I think he was being honest for whatever that's worth, but people don't want to hear that. They certainly don't want to hear about heavy costume and uh, Anthony Durrell yelling in the corner or whatever else he, he told us. But um, so I think that's more what it is. I think he's a little bothered by that. So he might be less accessible to us in, in leading up to the uh, third fight. Um, but maybe that's a good thing for him. And it's bad for us because he's a great quote and he, you know, he, he'll stay on the phone with you all day if, if, if you want. Um, so he's great in that sense, but maybe he's focusing on, you know, tinkering with his training team and, and making strategic changes and technical changes that need to be made if he's going to win this third fight. So maybe that's more what this is about. I, I don't know. I mean, Lance could, could be onto something also. I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, he's certainly been unavailable for us for the last few months. Look, I mean, there is a mental hurdle you have to get past to resume your career. And, we know this because we just saw it. Like we just saw Anthony Joshua go through it in 2019, getting knocked out, getting all the backlash, hearing from even some of your peers saying that you were overrated. Deontay Wilder himself, you know, went after Anthony Joshua in the aftermath of that fight. Uh, you've got to kind of dig deep into, I don't want to get too hyperbolic, but into your soul, so to speak, to bounce back from something like that. You've got to make some changes within your team, maybe not an overhaul, but some change with your team. So, you know, it's kind of, it kind of feels like we're seeing the process play out for the second time in as many years, Lance. I mean, do you think, do you see, you know, comparisons there with what AJ went through in the aftermath of the Ruiz loss to what we're at least seeing from afar uh, Deontay Wilder go through? Absolutely. And to me, Chris, the beauty of the heavyweight division right now is that literally everywhere you look in this division, all of these guys have flaws that they have to overcome and conquer. 
to, to stand as heavyweight champion. To me, it's like you could look out and say like the whole next decade is going to be filled with great heavyweight fights because of all, all of these characters involved. And, and each of them, you know, Andy Ruiz, Deontay Wilder, Dillian White, Tyson Fury, uh, Anthony Joshua, all have uh, questions and things about them where you say, you know, can he solve that tonight? And it's, it, to me, it's fascinating uh, theater to watch. I, I just can't wait for all, all these fights to go down because literally all these guys have some kind of demons that they have to dance with. Yeah, there's a half dozen heavyweight matchups I would love to see right now. And hopefully when this all clears up, we get good heavyweight fight after good heavyweight fight in 2021. It would do a lot to boost boxing. Um, all right, let me finish up with this, guys. I have in my rundown the topic name here. It's called Old Guy Boxing. So we're going to talk about old guys that are in or getting back into boxing, specifically Sergio Martinez, who at 45 years old, got back in the ring this past weekend to win a low-level fight over in Spain, and Oscar De La Hoya, who continues to make noise about getting back into the ring at 47 years old. So, Keith, I'll put it to you first. Who has a better chance at being successful? When I say successful, I'm not talking about the one win Sergio Martinez had, but successful at a medium to high level on their return to the ring. Sergio Martinez or Oscar De La Hoya? Well, I'll say Sergio Martinez, and only because I don't expect Oscar De La Hoya to fight. This is not the first time that he said he's coming back. When uh, He told Steve Kim uh, last week, I think it was, that he's going to fight. And I understand it became a big, it was on ESPN. And I said, well, he told Chris that a month before that on the podcast and also said that he would not discount Canelo as a potential opponent. I thought that <laughs> that was the, that's the biggest, that's the craziest thing that he said recently, right? That he would fight Canelo. I yes. was like, okay, if that happens, yeah, sure. I think the world would tune in for that. Now, <laughs> we all know that that is not going to happen. And I, as much as I think Oscar wants to come back in his mind, you know, the, the mind can't always will the body to do what it's not set out to do at this, but he's 47 years old. Uh, you know, he clearly is in much better physical condition than I am, but he's almost my age. I, he, I, he should not be boxing, certainly not against a top level guy. And I understand that he misses it and all that. Um, but he hasn't fought in 12 years or almost 12 years. And the last time he fought, Manny Pacquiao beat the crap out of him. So why would anyone think that he would be able to come back in 2021 or whenever and fight a top-level guy, which is what he's saying that he's going to do? Again, I, I think, you know, he might want to do it, but he has said how many times now since losing to Manny Pacquiao that he's going to come back and he's going to spar and see how it goes and all that. He hasn't fought. Here, here we are almost 12 years later, and he has not fought. So unless he's going to fight some equally old person or middle-aged, however you want to frame it, I don't see him fighting again. So I guess by default, Sergio Martinez would be more successful. Lance, let me, um, you know, I, I agree with Keith. The idea that like, you know, Oscar's position that like I go back to 154 and I'll be much stronger, that it was just the seven pounds that was <laughs> – what prevented okay. him from performing better against Pacquiao was a little bit ludicrous, mm -hmm. but you've covered Oscar longer than all of us, you know, being out there in Los Angeles, you've seen him as Keith said, hint at coming back before. I mean, does this feel any different to you? Do you, do you believe we'll see Oscar get back in the ring? I, I think, I think that he, he is as serious as he's been on all of these things that he's ever said. Remember he was going to run for president against Donald Trump and all these other crazy things that he has had to say about comebacks and all the sort um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think that he would like to do this, but let's be honest, Chris. I mean, if he gets in the ring, this stuff's going to go downhill very, very quickly. And honestly, he would be best served to say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight just like I did in the Olympics. He's gonna be a three. It's gonna be a three round fight, and that's it. Because look, whether it's Mike Tyson and Roy Jones or any of these older fighters who are uh, talking about fighting, their endurance is gonna be, you know, laughable if it, if this thing goes past four rounds. And so Oscar has to be very real you know look if he's getting healthy by doing this more power to him i hope that it's helping him uh clean up his act but you know i i just i i think he wants to do it i think he's striving uh to do it but like he said will he will he get in the ring if i had if i had the bet i would say no as well yeah i mean it's it's a long way to go until he ultimately decides to get there if i'm oscar de la hoya i'm telling oscar Work on promoting, man. Like, just don't don't get don't worry about fighting. Like, just stop quarreling with your fighters and start promoting them at a high level. I mean, you've got some big fights potentially coming up. You've got the most exciting young star in all of boxing in Ryan Garcia. Like, give put all your energy behind that. You know, become like the Bob Arum of promoting Ryan Garcia. Talk to everybody about Ryan right. Garcia. Tweet constantly about Ryan Garcia. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just the fighting. And I understand, I've had this conversation with Sergio Mora, that it's really hard for fighters to completely let it go. But he's got an opportunity to you know, stay in the game at a pretty high level, promoting high-level guys. He's got the biggest star in boxing in Canelo. He's got the brightest young star, as I said, in Ryan Garcia. I mean, put your energy into that. Uh, Keith, we did see Sergio Martinez come back. He didn't look bad. I understand it's he wasn't going up against a, a top opponent, but he looked serviceable. He... he attacked the body he moved around decently those knees are never going to get back to what they once were and his movement never will be as great as it was when he was knocking out paul williams or beating kelly pavlik but uh it looked like he can still box a little bit what are your expectations for sergio martinez over the next year you know i'm not sure chris just he's a little younger than oscar of course but um and he and he looked fine in the fight i've obviously fought a very low level of opposition there but um you know, if he fought, I think there's one fight that could be intriguing for him. If he was going to fight a guy who's, you know, younger than him and still, I don't know if he's at the top level based on what he, what he's done, but, but uh, meaning uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. That, that rematch would be sellable because obviously Chavez heard him at the end of that fight. And I, I guess, you know, it, it but I, I have the same concerns for Martinez. Martinez doesn't need the money. You know, he's done very well with his money, according to what Lou DiBella and others have told me. He's a very popular person in Argentina, uh, you know, like a transcendent mainstream star in Argentina. Apparently, he does some acting. He, do- he doesn't really need the money, from what I've been told. Um, but I-, I would have the same concerns for him if he fought a-, a younger guy in his prime that I would have for Oscar. And that's more than anything why you wouldn't want Oscar to go fight. I mean, it's it's... It, it, like Lance said, it's good if he, if it's helping him stay he- healthy, both physically and mentally and all to train. But you get in a real fight with a guy who can punch who's, you know, 30 years old or whatever. I mean, you could obviously get very uh, seriously injured. So those are the concerns I would have about both guys fighting anyone that's in his physical prime and is a top level fighter. So I, I would prefer that Martinez stayed away from anyone like that and, and, honestly stayed away from it. He got it out of his system, right? I mean, he fought for the first time in six years. He came back from, from losing the fight against, against Cotto and he won a fight. So now his last fight is a win instead of a loss. Hopefully that makes him feel a little better about the end of his career. 
But I just worry just physically about these guys getting injured. It's just not necessary. And Oscar, I don't think Oscar needs the money either. I mean, I, I, so I, I, I would just prefer them not to do it because no good could come of it ultimately. When they Lance, announced, when, yeah. when they announced the uh, Tyson Jones thing, it sounded as if, as if Mike Tyson was intending to start basically like a, a league for older mm-hmm. fighters. And I'm not saying that's a bad idea. If guys are, you know, hurting financially, uh, Keith, if they need if they need that money, yeah. this this may be a good opportunity for them to be get in there and fight each other. But you know, taking on anyone in their peak, like you say, I think is just a dangerous task. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure I need a league of extraordinarily older fighters. I don't know if I need that in my life. I just it's not <laughs> you know it's not, like, it's not like baseball. Like it's not it's not a sport that you can't get hurt in. Even if you're fifty something years old, you know. Your punch resistance ain't what it used to be, and you can get brain damage. Like I've just, but but Chris, didn't didn't you see the ten second clips of Mike Tyson in his living room? He's back, amazing. He's back, it's all the way back. He's back, <laughs> Lance. Uh, Keith brought up Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. and I know he's toxic right now, but despite like the social media criticism of him, if Chavez wins a fight and maybe two low level fights, and if Martinez wins a low level fight, I'm with Keith. You can sell that fight. You can sure. sell the rematch. It's it's cartoonish in a way, but there would be pretty significant interest in that fight if you put it like in Southern California in the spring of 2021. Like I, I don't know about you, but that's like I, I don't know what I don't know what the consequences of it would be. Neither one of these guys is fighting for a world title, though. I guess maybe Chavez theoretically could, but I, I think there'd be as much interest in that fight as many fights you could make in the early part of next year. Absolutely. I mean, one thing, I mean, and this happens a lot too in MMA, which I have covered. One thing you realize is that the skills may erode. You may see that a fighter is seriously decreasing in what they're, uh, what they used to be, but their names never die and their names always mean something. And if you can, you know, say whether it's Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones or Julio Cesar Chavez versus Sergio Martinez, that, that stuff still has selling power, and certainly anyone involved you know, wants to try to cash in on that. sound like one of the Ironborn from Game of Thrones there, uh, Lance. Like, what is dead may never die? Like, isn't that their catchphrase? I don't know if you guys are Game of Thrones people, but I'm a yes. massive Game of Thrones people. Uh, Keith, last question for you. The, you know, we're, we're now talking about, we did Tyson Jones and Oscar and Chavez. Like, is, is it an issue for boxing that we're exploiting the past? And I don't say we like the media, but like boxing... The, the biggest amount of interest is in it exploiting its past. And I'm not saying there wouldn't be interest in, you know, retired athletes in other sports. Like if Michael Jordan was like, I'm coming back, there'd be huge interest in that. But, you know, boxing is trying to get on its feet with, uh, you know, younger fighters. And most of the interest is in older fighters. I mean, is that a significant issue to you? Well, I, I think, I don't know, because, you know, Mike Tyson is such an anomaly in the sense that, he was a phenomenon in the 80s, and, and really the interest in Mike Tyson has never really wavered, despite him losing to Vander Holyfield twice, especially in the infamous way that he lost in the rematch, getting knocked out by Lennox Lewis, getting knocked out by Danny Williams, losing to Kevin McBride when he quit on his stool. Fifteen years later, people are still fascinated with whatever Mike Tyson is doing, whether he's swimming with sharks or growing pot in his backyard or whatever he's, whatever it is he's doing, people are fascinated with Mike Tyson. So I think I'm not surprised by that. So, so it doesn't, I wouldn't say I'm alarmed in any way that people are more interested in what Mike Tyson's doing 
than what Jamal Charlo was doing or Javante Davis. I'm not knocking them. It's just that Mike Tyson is, is a cultural icon despite all of the crazy and in some cases criminal things that he has done in his life. Uh, people are just never going to stop being interested in Mike Tyson. So I don't know necessarily, you know, if Roy Jones, of course, a very popular fighter or a legendary fighter, but if Roy Jones were not fighting Mike Tyson, that event, and who knows whether it's still going to come off. Um, but I don't think there would have been as much interest in that in event if Mike Tyson wasn't involved in it. So I think you know, if it was, if it was Tyson Holyfield, of course, there would have been a lot of interest in that, but um, you know, if Shannon Briggs comes back, okay, people might write about it. Some people might want to see it. I don't know why necessarily, but, um, but it wouldn't be as big of a deal as Mike Tyson. So it, it doesn't, it, it, I don't think I'm as concerned about it as, as maybe people might think you should be if you cover this sport. I don't know about you guys, but I get regular emails from people telling me Shannon Briggs is coming back. And if I want to talk to Shannon Briggs, I'm, I'm good with that at the moment. Uh, Lance, Lance, last question for you. Uh, you're in California. This is where that Tyson Jones fight was originally scheduled to take, to take place next month. Uh, allegedly going to take place on November 28th. Do you believe that Tyson Jones is going to happen? I would, you know, I, I think that they will. I think that for whatever was going on with some of the financial reasons, they had to get their house in order. I believe that they're doing that right now and that the intent is for this fight to still go down. That's what I've been told. And look, I mean, both of these guys are significant figures. They're making a documentary to, to help hawk it. And so um, the curiosity factor is so strong. You know, another thing is, you know, we don't know. I don't, I don't think that we'll be able to get fans in that venue, but it is an outdoor venue. They can spread them out a little bit. And a lot of people, I can assure you out here, are itching to try to uh, get tickets if, they're, if it's uh, possible. Oh, I know Keith is ready. He's the only one of us that has the Triller app already downloaded on his phone. <laughs> I certainly do. I don't even know how to spell it now and what it is. But uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, respectfully disagree with my, my uh, friend Lance here, and I'm going to offer a friendly wager on dinner whenever we can go to <laughs> cover fights again uh, that this fight will not happen. Um, I just don't you know the excuse that they made when they postponed it seemingly a week after they announced it was that <laughs> that fans were not going to be able to come. <laughs> no shit. I mean, of course fans aren't yeah. going to be able to come. You knew that when you announced it. So what, so how is that the reason why it's, you know, and then Rory Jones started saying, if, if you don't pay me for whatever time I've committed to this so far, I'm going to back out. I think there are going to be a lot of financial issues in this moving forward. I, I, I don't care really if it happens or not. I'm not like a, a against it happening. I mean, if it happens and people want to buy it, you want to waste 50 bucks watching Mike Tyson and Roy Jones look at each other and then have the referees step in as soon as they touch each other. <laughs> people waste their money on all kinds of crazy things. So good luck. But you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Lance, I'm, I'm, I'll make that dinner bet with Keith as well. Uh, I'll, I'll pay for the next one. If that's what it's, happens. It's, I, it's my sunny dis it's my sunny disposition out here on the west coast versus you <laughs> negative east coast guys you know you're it's so just, negative. you guys fair you guys, enough fair enough you, you you guys both like we were all we all kind of sniffed this for a few weeks before it got reported the big thing was like follow the money right like i was i was i had heard they were going for the middle east and trying to make it happen but the middle east wasn't interested and then the second they said Carson, California, September 12th, in the middle of a pandemic, there's no way. And to your point, <laughs> to your point Lance, they're not going to be able to have fans. Like the governor of California is not going to allow fans 
in California, November 28th. It's just not going to happen. Like it's just, and, and even if it did, like how much revenue is that going to be able to bring in to get to that reported $50 million number to pay everybody off? I mean, Nate Robinson as a basketball guy, he ain't doing this for free. Like he, <laughs> he's getting some money out of it. Jake Paul, you know, he's nuts, but he's getting some money out of it. I just, I, it, it all comes down to the money. I don't think it's there. I don't think this pot of money is there. And therefore, whether it's September, November, or 2076, if it's not <laughs> the money is not there, it's just not going to happen. That's a conversation for, for another day, fellas. I uh, appreciate it. Great talk with you guys. This was awesome doing this. We'll have to do it again uh, real soon. Thanks to Keith Ideck and Lance Pugmire for joining me here on the show, fellas. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Lance. Good to see you guys. Same here. Thank you so much, Chris. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie, too, for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. All right, Joe Smith is here, light heavyweight contender coming off maybe the biggest win of his professional career over Letty Alvarez this past weekend, and he joins me here on the show. So, Joe, 
was this the best win of your career? Because you're the guy that that retired Bernard Hopkins, man. Like, so you've got you've got a pretty impressive resume at this point. Yeah, I mean, uh, I believe it is definitely one of the biggest fights in my career, and uh, you know, it was a great accomplishment to beat a former champion. What meant more to you? Uh, beating Hopkins and fighting a guy that's on that level, one of the greats of all time, or beating Alvarez, which moved you, you know, one step closer to that, you know, that elusive uh, light heavyweight title. Um, this fight, I believe, meant the most to me because, you know, he Alvarez is pretty much an undefeated guy. He has one loss and he's a former world champion. And I believe by beating him, I made a statement that I belong with the top contenders in the division. How confident were you, Joe, coming into a fight like this? I mean, you'd fought some good opponents, uh, but Alvarez uh, had a good resume, one one defeat, fought Kovalev a couple of times, good power. I mean, how confident were you that your your style was the right matchup for this one? Um, I was pretty confident, but more so I was just very motivated to get in there and get a win and uh, move forward with my career. At what point during a fight like that do you feel like you are in control? That that I mean, you want, the judges had you up lopsided significantly throughout this fight, but at what point did you feel like, all right, I can take what this guy's throwing at me, and he's having a lot of problems with what I'm doing? Honestly, in the first round of the fight, when I got out there and he hit me, he hit me with a couple of little shots, and I, I, I took a second. I was like, I was surprised. I was like, wow, I thought this guy was going to have a lot more <laughs> than he was uh, dishing out, you know, right off the bat. And, um, you know, kind of boosting my confidence up a little bit right from the very first round. And I just wanted to, you know, stay busy and, you know, try to get him out of there. And, I, you know, I was able to do so. I think people – might underestimate you, Joe, based on you know kind of some early results in your career. I mean, walk me through a couple of the losses that you had. I mean, I know I know the story of the Sullivan Barrera fight. You had a broken jaw in it, but tell me about the first loss of your career, which was what six or seven fights in, and, and you lost by knockout. Well, well, it wasn't. I actually wasn't stopped. I uh, I pushed the guy away from me and walked out. <laughs> um, that was to a broken jaw as well. Um, mm-hmm. See, the problem was I had my wisdom teeth in, and the wisdom teeth was taking up too much of the bone in my jaw. So so once I pulled out the tooth, now it's good. But back then, when the tooth was in there, it didn't take much to break it because there was no, there was no bone around the tooth. It was just all tooth there. <laughs> so, you know, it broke in, like, the second round of that first fight my first loss and um you know i fought seven rounds with it broken or whatever it was and uh you know eventually the guy he just knew it was broken and he wasn't even trying to fight me at that point he was just holding me and smacking my jaw so (laughs) i just pushed him away and i walked out the ring and you know i came back had a few good wins and then the same issue happened because i never had my tooth removed so during sparring about a week before the fight, I got uh, I got hit with a good uppercut, and I felt like I felt like it may have been broken. So I went to the hospital. I had you know X-rays done, and they told me there was nothing wrong with it. 
but I felt it. My whole mouth was bruised inside. So, but being that they said there was no breakage, I just, I went through with the fight and, uh, with the very first punch that, uh, it, you know, Pereira landed, I realized it was broken. <laughs> and I, you know, I made it through the fight with the broken jaw, but it was, uh, it was a rough one. Which, which broken jaw was worse, the fight in the first loss or the fight against Barrera? Well, the first, the first time it broke, it broke on both sides. So it was just, it was pretty much hanging. <laughs> but, I mean, they were both, they were both brutal. I mean, with Barrera, it was completely broken half. And, it, you know, it was to the point where I couldn't even close my mouth. It wasn't I mean, like a, it wasn't a baby fracture or anything. It was literally like hanging off my face. <laughs> and what I mean, man, like what keep what keeps you going in a fight like that, knowing knowing what you're dealing with pain wise, but also, I mean, the odds go down dramatically that you're going to be able to win or be able to hang in there and and be yeah. yourself in a fight like that. Well, with Barrera. My um my first fight just kept popping back in my head and how I could have finished it and won it, you know, because I was up on the scorecards in that fight and you know I just walked out and uh, you know with the Barrera fight I knocked him down in the first round and I believe if I wasn't injured I could have stopped him, you know, early in the fight. But due to the injury, it was a rough fight and you know I just knew I had that puncher's chance because I put him down in the first round to get him out of there at some point. So I was just looking to land that big shot, but it didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's weird. It's like almost, you're almost a victim of people sort of looking at numbers when they think of you. And I, what I mean by that is, I think in a way you're underestimated going into a lot of these fights. And it's not just the, the Alvarez fight. I mean, I look back at the fight you had against Jesse Hart and I remember talking to some people at the time and you were like a four to one underdog. And I'm looking yeah. at him like, that's, that's insane. Like that's ins like Jesse Hart is fine, like good fighter, but he's coming up from 168 and he's fighting a guy that is going to be relentlessly coming at him. And that's exactly what you did uh, throughout the course of that fight. I mean, do you think because of just like, I mean, do you think you're, you're under uh, disrespected or underrated yeah, coming into these I fights? Well, they don't realize that I do have boxing capabilities as well as knockout power because, you know, a lot of the times I really, I choose not to use my boxing. I get a little carried away and over excited sometimes where I just want to get the person out of there. So I get, I do, I, I understand to some point. And then they look at uh, my two losses, but they don't take in fact that, uh, you know, they were due to broken jaws. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Have you, do you feel like you've improved as a boxer in these last couple of years, even as recently as, you know, a, a performance that sort of defined you early on, which was Hopkins to now, do you think you've made improvements? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, after, after I fought uh, Bivol and lost to him, I realized, you know, I needed to work on my boxing a little more and, you know, move around and box, you know, stay on my feet a little more. And, um, you know, I believe I'm definitely improving with each and every fight. Now. You know, as, as you kind of look forward in your career, I guess even look back to like, I've been, I watch you fight 
And the one thing I've said to people, I said it to Carl Moretti with Top Rank on Fight Night, like you have to be you know, in great shape and technically proficient to beat Joe Smith. Like I, if you come in, in at all out of shape and if you are not able to keep him off you with a jab, you can't beat him. I mean, you think that's a fair assessment? Yes, 100%. Because, you know, I'm, uh, I'm always in great shape and um, I'm very strong. A lot of people mm-hmm. underestimate how strong I am. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize until they get in there how strong I am. And I, I believe that's what happened with the Alvarez fight this time. You know, you know, they didn't expect me to be as strong as I was. Mm-hmm. So are you now sitting back and waiting on whatever happens with the other side of this light heavyweight bracket? Is that the plan for you moving forward to take on the winner? Or is, has anything changed as a result of this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I'm just waiting to hear the news. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. But uh, I really, I feel like they should have put the title on the line for this fight. I believe this was the, you know, I fought the two best guys that were in the tournament and, you know, destroyed both of them. And mm. now I don't know, you know, we don't know when these other two guys are going to be able to fight or if they're even going to be able to. So you're talking to me now from your backyard, but you're saying before we started, like you're going back to work soon. I mean, how, <laughs> how much of your day job are you continuing to do? Um, well, right now I'm trying to get some yard work caught up on <laughs> and then, uh, then I'll be back with, uh, the guys at work. Um, my father's out there today. He, they're working and, um, you know, I'll probably swing by sometime just to see what's going on. And then, uh, you know, I got some more interviews and stuff to do today. And other than that, but once all this is done, I'll probably be back to work. What would it, for people? I mean, a lot of people in boxing know your story, but people listening to this, your day job is what? The day to day of your life is is what for Joe Smith? Well, when I'm not training, I'm doing uh, tree work with my, um, you know, it's a family business. You know, me and my father opened it up after, uh, probably say after Hopkins fight sometime, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's going well. You know, I just you know we, I'm training and then I go to the. You know the, the business. We do. I do some work with the company, and then I go back to the gym, and then the next day I do it all over again. You know, you see a lot of guys, Joe, do that at certain points of their career. Uh, you, you don't see too many world champions do that. They're more exclusively focused on boxing. If you come away with a title in your next fight, do you think you'll continue to work in in your business? Do you think you'll continue to 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 do stuff on the side? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's. Uh, it's something to fall back on, something to keep my, my mind busy. You know, I like I like going into work even now like when I'm training for a fight. Like if I'm having a rough day or something, I'll go into work just to keep my mind off training. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, not to look too far ahead, but, you know, people, you know, because of where you're lined up with, with top rank uh, and their presence in the light heavyweight division, uh, Archer Betterbiev is going to be talked about with you. And this was a fight that was supposed to happen a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. You know, things came about. Uh, how do you feel about that fight? And and, a ma- and how do you feel your style matches with a guy like Betterbiev? Um, I mean, I think it'll be a great opportunity. I, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, they can make it happen, honestly. I think it'll be a great fight. Um, I think our styles will make a... A great fight, but um, I believe I'm a little tougher than he is, and uh, could get him out of there. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, you and Betterbiev, if you both win your next fights, like that's 
it's almost a pay-per-view joke. Like that, that, that would be a fight that everybody would be dying to see because of the styles you're talking about. You're both physical, uh, you know, pun- big punchers, guys that come right at you. I mean, that's the kind of fight that I, I, I'm not betting on a judge's decision on that one, Joe. Yeah, I don't. I think somebody's gonna get. <laughs> you know, he's a huge puncher, so you know anything could happen. Do you go into a fight thinking that? I mean, a broken jaw aside, that anybody can knock you out. I mean, you've got a good chin. Uh, do, do you have you ever been outside of the times against Barrera and early on when the injury occurred? Have you been significantly hurt in fights? In a fight, no, I've never been really hurt in a fight. Um, and honestly, I've. I've been down in sparring maybe twice in my career, you know, but that's, uh, other than that, no, I've never really been hurt, but mm. just even in sparring when I was put down, it was a flash knockdown, you know, get up, get right back up and get right back to it. But they were, you know, they were early on, you know, when I was like 17 sparring with uh, world champions. <laughs> Does, I, you know, when guys have losses, and you've got the one to Barrera and then the B-Bowl loss specifically, does it stick with you? I mean, do you think that a rematch with B-Bowl would go any differently? I mean, I, I can't believe I'm saying this after saying you get underestimated all the time. I look at B-Bowl as a really tough matchup for you because he does the things that I was talking about. He's always in shape, and he's really technically skilled. So it's yeah. it feels like B-Bowl will always be a tougher matchup for you than maybe anybody else at light heavyweight. Yes, I believe that's true. You know, he's the he's the guy that I want to work towards. You know, a little bit more, a little more experience and getting ready. And I would like to redeem myself against him. You know, I believe a little more work I could take him. <laughs> he, I mean, can can you have imagined a few years ago, like you know, again, not the cart before the horse because you don't have the first title yet, but you're in a position, you know, by the end of next year to have fought, have three pieces potentially of the title, and God knows, Bevo's always looking for a fight. He'd definitely do a rematch with you under yeah. those circumstances. I mean, you could be in position to be the undisputed light heavyweight champion at some That's point it. in 2021. I mean, could you ever have imagined that years ago? No, I could never. I would never picture that uh, a few years back. But uh, now it's it's right there. You know, I just got to go and get it. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe, congrats, man! Uh, great performance. The fight of the weekend, uh, right up there with Dillian White and Pavekin um, last Saturday. Uh, good luck, and hoping that that title fight comes your way uh, sooner rather than later, because you're you're starting to build a pretty big fan base out there amongst you know people that are, are enjoying watching the win over Hart and and the win over yeah. Alvarez. Man, thanks for joining me. All right, thank you for having me. You guys have a good day. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. Kevin Hart here. This basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back on everything. Even the sound system that auto-tunes the game. Curry from way downtown. Defense. Will the owner of a red sedan please visit guest services? Bet you've never heard cash back and sound like that. Cash back like a pro with Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. 
Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical.